Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast. With your host, Mark Kennedy. Joined again this week by Liam O'Brien. Liam Hortings. Mighty Mark. Some, some weekend of rugby, my God. Yeah, absolutely stunning from start to finish, wasn't it, Liam? Ladies and gentlemen, this week in the episode, we'll focus in on the first round of the Guinness Six Nations Championship. Look at Ireland's win away to Wales, Scotland's sensational victory over England at Twickenham, and Italy's so near, so yet so far loss to France at home at Rome. I suppose, Liam, we'll start first at the Principality Stadium, Cardiff, Wales. What was your overriding reaction to that Ireland's 34-10 win over Warren Gatlin's Wales? It was what a, I suppose a champion side does, isn't it? You know, they were they were under pressure. They were going to a tough venue where they haven't had a great venue or a great record in the last ten years. One win in, in in the last ten visits. Put the game to bed early. You could have to say, you know, I mean, pretty much by the twentieth minute, three tries to nil and playing very very well and controlling the game. Yeah, so it was. And look, Wales came back in the second half. They did have chances through the game it has to be said you know that they didn't uh, quite execute but I thought I, I thought we we, we just uh, had uh, every you know metric in terms of um, tackles in terms of carries and scrummaging uh, we, we kind of blew them off the park in that first half really exactly we'd mentioned this podcast last week claim not to give Wales any oxygen what we meant by that was no early scores, and certainly look after 21 minutes here, Liam. Game was pretty much, you know, I wouldn't say done and dusted, but what an incredible start, starting after two minutes with Caelan Doris's try, James Ryan after nine, and then James Lowe's intercept. So, I mean, I mean, it was so silent in the Principality Stadium, early doors, all the enthusiasm, all the optimism of the Welsh fans had evaporated completely, and it was such a dominant start from Ireland. I suppose we can go to the Caelan Doris try first off. A very dominant move from the Ireland pack and a, a superb line run from Doris to finish off. Well, yeah, but it was it was that with that inside ball to Ryan. I mean, my God, we, we, I suppose what, what impressed me in that first twenty minutes was the physicality, the fronting up of the players, but also the subtlety. To you need a, a subtlety to finish off the tries. So for a first try. Huge carry from Ryan. That's just crazy, you know? And I mean then it was open then. Then it was like, you know, just gonna have to get the ball away and and and, and so Doris went over. Yeah. And and the same way I think for the next try then for, for Ryan, you know, again um Beelan with a, a lovely ball, lovely little pop is all I did, and Ryan went over with the help of of, of Byrne. But it, it, that's what impressed me the most was Ireland brought it physically to Wales there. I just thought from five exchanges to only one team in it here, Liam. You know, we absolutely routed the Welsh front five, particularly in that first quarter. And our back row play, our quick ruck ball, was a top superb at times, really. And again, there were some late withdrawals here, uh, Liam, when you consider Gibson Park unavailable, Conor Murray slots in at nine. Did have a late alternation in the Sos bench with Dave Kilcoyne coming in for Keane Healy. I suppose get your comments in terms of Conor Murray's cameo here. What did you feel in terms of his performance on today? Yeah, he did well. But I mean, again, what we have to remember is there's this analysis now of rock ball and how much was one second rock ball, how much was two to three, how much was beyond three. And Ireland, you know, had a huge amount of 
one percent, one one second and, and two second ruck ball. So that obviously helped Murray enormously, you know, in the game, which was which was a difference. Um, so look, he did well with the ball he had for sure. He did he didn't kick if anyone knows, but he didn't kick that much in the in the game. That that was the instruction. He played quite well. He really did. I mean, look, and in terms of the French, and just in terms of the physicality, you'd be thinking he he'd be kind of need for that in that sense. But also, you have to kind of think what kind of ruck ball are we getting? Are we going getting against the French as well? But yeah, look, I mean, I was delighted with him, with Bealham. I thought Bealham was actually excellent. I thought we were on top of it in, in in the scrums. Um, Kilcoyne coming on it around was excellent as well. So I mean, look, there's there's huge amounts of uh, positives to take from that. Absolutely, Neema. I think you called it out brilliantly there. It was a phenomenal start to the game. Wales did have to respond. So obviously, the Caelan Doris try after two minutes. James Ryan after nine minutes. We did have a penalty from Johnny Sixton as well. Dan Bigger had opened the scoring for Wales in 14 minutes with a penalty. But then probably decides the turning point of the game on 21 minutes with James Lowe's intercept try. On a period when Wales are trying to create momentum, bring oxygen back into that Principality Stadium. But a very opportunistic try from James Lowe to really open up uh, the game wide open. Yeah, and again, I mean, I mean, like to be to be fair, I mean, Dan Bigger was trying to get Wales back into the game there, but it was kind of a a very soft pass, you know, that he gave, and a, a quite a quite a long pass actually he gave for the intercept. But um, yeah, Lowe was away there. I mean, he showed a good engine to get away. Now around the time too, we have to remember. I suppose Dan Bigger butchered, to my mind, certain try. He was in like two minds. He should have went himself, obviously. He should have taken a bit of an arc on the outside. But he was kind of like arcing, trying to arc and yet trying to pass outside and ended up <laughs> with nowhere, really, you know. Um, and, of course, also Jack Morgan getting held up on the line, brilliantly uh, done by by Porter. So they had, they had opportunities, if you think about it, like, you know, that was 14 points. That would have made a, a totally different game of it in the, in, towards the end of the first half there. Absolutely. And Rio Dyer, uh, the back three for Wales as well, was becoming a little bit more prominent, particularly in that second and third quarter here, Liam, as well. So there were warning signs there, particularly Jack Morgan. I thought he had probably the, the standout for Wales, really, on the day. You know, that kick chase as well. Uh, McCluskey kind of collecting at the end of um, the opening half. So... Again, there was kind of tit for tat here in terms of Sexton. I did like the way how Ireland then in the next possession went for the post. Just keep the scoreboard ticking over. I thought that was pretty impressive stuff here. You know, really kind of laying home the advantage. So all in all, Liam, you know, as you say, you know, the scoreline indicated a good lead here for Ireland. But Wales showing some signs. But it was a strange sort of game, wasn't it, Liam? Because... Given the early Ireland salvo, I suppose after minute 30 on to around minute 70, it'd be fair to say here, Liam, that Wales did have line share of possession, really, in that third quarter, and only the Liam Williams try really to talk about from a Welsh perspective, but what might have been probably a video analysis for Wales, given some of the opportunities they coughed up. Yeah, I mean, look, we didn't score again from whatever, 25th, 26th minute, yeah, until the end of the second half. It was kind of a, yeah, kind of a lost lost opportunity for us maybe to people be saying oh if that was the All Blacks or, or England they would have tacked on another 15-20 points you know 
But um, yeah, so I mean, look, every every side has their proper patch, and we certainly did after that. Um, well taken try from Liam Williams. I thought that um Hawkins actually was was a, had a very good game there at centre for Wales. He's a big, strong lad, and he linked well. I thought with um with bigger at times. I mean, if if I was taking anything away from 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 Welsh perspective in that game, uh, that would be probably one of the things I would actually take away that there is a. There is a decent access, and even with scrum half, so there's a decent decent access to work to work on there, and Dyer as well as as you mentioned before, but um, I suppose look and um, also the crucial I suppose at times in terms of Ireland getting back was the the high tackle or supposed high tackle anyway of Lee Williams on Sexton. Look, it was yeah, it was kind of a bit high, but it wasn't you know it wasn't I don't know on 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 the on the um the really dirty side or really serious side, I don't think anyway. Exactly, because I know the Liam Williams try there was a little bit of afters immediately after it, just given Andrew Porter kind of sliding in at the end of that try for Liam Williams. Kind of uh, maybe some Welsh friends of mine felt that maybe that warranted maybe a yellow card for Andrew Porter here. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there was, as I said, at the time, there was actually no need for that whatsoever. You know, it was complete like provocation. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Maybe that was going to be a decisive moment if Aaron went down to fourteen players for a period here. It could have been pretty uh, kind of vital here, to be perfectly fair. But I think take nothing away uh, from Ireland defensively here. They had to soak up the tackles and some great turnover ball when required. I mean. It really kind of showed tail at the tape that an awful lot of Rio Dyer's kind of real action kind of came around the midfield area. Again, there wasn't really anything, you know, really decisive from Wales from inside the 22 of Ireland during that third quarter particularly. And I suppose that Liam Williams yellow card really spelled the end of the game here for Wales because suddenly uh, Ireland got a foothold in the game again. And within a few minutes, Josh van der Fleer was over, straight, straight under the post for a very well-worked try. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Casey found him like literally, literally under the post. Yeah, and, and there, there we go with the bonus point. And I guess, you know, nowadays in the Six Nations, you need to get bonus points. You, you really do. And, you know, considering that we hadn't scored since the probably three quarters in the first half it was it was crucial to get it too and i suppose to my mind that's it it's a huge it's a huge um win in terms of like a 24 point winning margin is is colossal you know and it kind of turned out for me better to be honest than i possibly could have imagined the game to have went because i thought i honestly thought that Wales would be so up for this that it would turn it into a real slugfest. But uh, yeah, it just turned out differently. We kind of stamped our authority. We showed why we're a good team and we showed why we're contenders for the World Cup. You know, I mean, this team can lay down markers, build up leads. Yeah, put in a good performance starting off. Yeah, completely agree, Liam, because I mean, from minute 30 on, that's what we expected from Wales. Very up in your face, very physical, a good kick game. An awful lot of rush defence here, winning turnover ball to create territory. Probably say about 12-13 for Wales playing pretty well. I think there was defensive gaps there that Ireland did expose. And also, Ireland really did go for the the Welsh pack, the front five. They really asked some serious questions of that Welsh pack early doors as well. So I think overall, Liam, I think this is a brilliant result. As you said, the points differential here of 24 points could be huge. 
come the end of the championship here. So to go to Cardiff, which is always a very tough place to go, Ireland's record historically has been pretty woeful. It's a great start and really sets up the team very well for this weekend in France. Well, it does too. And also, I mean, I mean, to be honest, I don't think England are going to go out and wallop Italy either. So, I mean, Italy in the first three games, you know, the, the points differential for other teams isn't going to be as huge as people think. But, um, yeah, look, it sets it up well for, for the French game. I think we're really going to be tested in the scrum, you know, Finley Beelham, obviously, there. Would love to see Dave Kilcoyne actually on their side. I think balance-wise, I think uh, would be far better at this stage, you know, in, in a sense. Porter's kind of, you know, he's becoming a bit of a liability there in terms of penalties conceded. But um, I also, I, I kind of suspected for a while I would have preferred Porter to be a, a kind of a, a sub super prop to come on. Um, but yeah, I, um, I think we're in we're in a very good state. I think, look, we, we're going to start as favourites because at the end of the day, we're at home. We're in Dublin where we have an excellent record now. And I think it's going to be a very intriguing game because do France actually change things around in some in terms of some of their players? Do they bring in Jelly Bear? who kind of turned the game around in the second half for for them. Do they maybe bring in another look at some other of their uh, props? So, um, yeah, it's going to be intriguing. You do get the sense here, Liam, that is a real championship-defining game about this. I think even Johnny Sexton press conference can't really brush it off as, an, uh, you know, your standard game. I think with France, given their unbeaten record, they're the reigning Six Nations champions. Grand Slam winner is coming to Dublin. And given this performance here as well, maybe we can kind of quickly go to the Italy-France game. Maybe a little bit of a wake-up call for France in terms of the accuracy around the ruck area, mall area, but particularly overall. After maybe a promising start, first quarter looked pretty predictable along form lines. But thereafter here, Liam, an awful lot of issues for Galtier and Sean Edwards to really rectify here in a short space of time heading to Dublin uh, against a very buoyant Ireland side. Well, I suppose as, as a game, you know, I, and a really, really enjoyable tight game as well in terms of the championship. France, again, they probably came in a bit undercooked, maybe not up for the game as much as Italy were. They got, at the same time, they got two early tries and you would consider that would have settled them well, but they, they never they never quite um, drove on from there. They they also I suppose had lots of our, of possession in in that game, didn't make it count. They will certainly come, and we know that they'll be just brutally physical on the gain line. That's that's really what they're going to be when they come to Dublin. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. I think everything will be upped. Maybe I think there was one eye on this Dublin trip from a France perspective. It was a very slow start in terms of their performance overall, but. I mean, three tries on the board after 27 minutes here, uh, Liam, but there was very much breakdown of communications throughout the side, really. I mean, I think they're quite thankful to Thomas Ramos as well for his boot here. Deadly accurate as always. But Italy, again, have shown that they can create linebacks against any team here. And uh, Capuso, he's a magnificent try in 32 minutes, gives Italy... A foothold in the game and they grew in confidence thereafter and I mean Liam I hate to say this but if the Italian halfbacks here I'd say Vidionazes were probably an awful watch for them uh, this week. 
again, a, a, another game really that, you know, I mean, Italy should have won, obviously. Um, if uh, Tommy Allen had his uh, kicking boots on. At the same time, I suppose, look, France, I think probably just about deserved to, to get over the line. Charlie Barr definitely made a difference when he came on. It was it uh, interesting too that that France conceded a penalty try and and deservedly so, and then had the yellow card. It shows, I think, too that the France in a way can be got at in 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 up front as well, which is unexpected. That was the biggest surprise for me, uh, Liam. You talk about cohesion issues, I can talk about them all day, but I thought pack wise, the sight of the Italian pack making inroads into that French defensive mall really, for me, surprised me at the weekend. And if you're from an Ireland management perspective, it's something that you're going to basically target here uh, on Saturday. And the subsequent penalty try, as you say here, Olivion rightly gets in bent, you know, and it is a clear penalty try. I think it's just really everything kind of went wrong for France thereafter. I mean, the composure around the breakdown area, there was some absolutely horrendous penalty calls um, rightly given by the referee to Italy. But I mean, if you're Sean Edwards here, Galtier, I mean, it is, uh, I don't know how you dissect that video analysis. I mean, again, 18 penalties to seven is really telling you the tale of the tape here. And I mean, in that last 15 minutes, France gave Italy ample opportunity to set up massive attacking territory deep. But I think it was just a case of poor Italy, again, a bit of cohesion issues. And I think, as you say, I think Tom, Thomas Allen a little bit rattled after a late penalty attempt miss, really not hitting many touch finders. It was very decisive and really at the end as well, just um, the, the closing exchange from an Italian line-out less than five metres out. And I mean, France expertly kind of dealt with close out the game. But again, maybe a little bit naivety on the Italians' part here to really secure a last-ditch uh, winner here. Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, the thing is, uh, they play a beautiful brand of rugby too, Italy. They don't have a big pack, but they're, they are very agile. They are very top-of-the-ground players and they have some excellent backs. So, I mean, I don't think this is a once-off. I mean, we saw last season real glimpses as well, and, and Italy are one of the improving sides in world rugby right now, you know. So, I mean, I, I, I think they can still aim in this championship to, to get one or two victories, you know. But for France, yeah, it's going to just be intriguing what they're going to bring. You know, will they will they keep... They have the so many options. I think that's the key, to be fair, you know, more, more teams. When you have a, a Ramos or Jalibert option... Sorry, a Ramos or a Jaminet option, or then you have the Jalibert option, you know, and and the, the props and and Wookie. Um, yeah, you, and there is talk about this 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 great um, uh, Toulouse Australian guy now. He's a South Sea Islander, but him him getting capped as well. So yeah, it's 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 intriguing, right? I think it is intriguing, but even going back to Italy. I think their pack has definitely improved here, I mean, without a shadow of a doubt. Even if you look at the stats on Italy performance last weekend, they went five for six on the, on the line-out, or on the scrum, 83%. They won 90% of their line-outs, 20 out of 22. And they did disrupt the French line-out, seven out of nine. And that scrum we were very much fearful of last week in the podcast, team. And Italy, to a man in that pack, really did stand up and be counted. Now, the missed tackle count is a little bit of a, an aberration. It's 37 missed tackles out of 159 
And maybe that's telling you the tail of the tape a little bit here in terms of uh, France, particularly easy access in that kind of opening period. But again, some optimistic signs for Italy, but maybe one that they'll review, review and have a little bit of regret on. But I suppose going back to France, I think we know what we're going to expect. I think we have to expect the best version of France here in Dublin. I think it will be a definitely marked up performance here. It needs to be. Otherwise, I think Ireland could be set for a good win here if France's performance, like in Rome, continues to be in the same vein. Yeah, but what I'm what I'm looking forward to, really, you know, this is the best test we're going to get before the World Cup. This is going to be like knockout rugby. This is going to be like a World Cup quarterfinal. And and so do we change our personnel? And I mean, we, we just know that that, that 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 kind of gain line success isn't going to be so easily gotten. So do do we really have to rethink really now of bringing in Ian Henderson into the scrum? You know, but then do, do you find somewhere for for Ty Byrne, who even when he plays quite games sometimes against the, the French, he's still very prominent in terms of his jackal and you know. Uh, as, as, a, as a turnover uh, king so those are things that we have to really I suppose think about and yeah also I mean do, do, do we stick with Murray even if potentially Jameson Gibson Park comes back um, do we look at Mac Hansen at uh, full back you know some, some, sometimes you, ha- you have to look at some of these things I think to be fair to Andy Farrell he may keep changes to an absolute minimum I think just given the performance. Now, there is that lull of 35 minutes from the 30th minute to about 6 minutes 65 here, which if they do that against France, they will get punished, no doubt about it. But I think he will leave things to a minimum here. I suppose the real key call here is front five. How aggressive did they want to get in terms of setting that platform? Henderson definitely would tick boxes in terms of being an enforcer, the physicality, the aggressive running, the ball carrying... But then you still need Tyke Byrne. So where do you put Tyke Byrne? Do you put him back in Peter Amani's position? Even though I think Amani provides an awful lot of upside for this team still in terms of experience and particularly in his overall open play and also in the lineouts. So I think these are intriguing questions for Andy Farrell and management going into that French team. And I think they've had a while to reflect in terms of their selection last year. So I think we'll see maybe an evolution in terms of team selection a little bit in terms of who they basically select here in those key uh, positions that I've just outlined. I, I think you're probably right. Yeah, he probably will make minimum changes and maybe maybe something if it's only kind of an enforced. Again, I looking back at the game there, uh, McCluskey Ringrose was was excellent. Um, Ringrose, yeah, massive massive hits throughout the game on bigger and. Um, tackle wise, and I, I and it's it's working out. It's it's a good it's a good partnership at the moment. I don't I don't think that would be broken up either. And I think to be honest, but I mean Ring Rose has become in in terms of the Irish backline, he has become a real leader there now. Kind of finally fulfilling his promise, I think it's fair to say. You know, I mean from a guy who was effectively the successor to Brian O'Driscoll at Leinster and Ireland, he is finally reaching those levels been incredible this season I mean he's elevated the performance again another level if it was possible now it's going to be a fascinating duel here isn't it in that three quarters if it is the McCluskey ring rose axis that we expect it to be having the likes of Mofana and also Fiku as well who are two very experienced three quarters here 
I think it's going to be fascinating to see the battle here really to kind of set up two very exciting backlines here. I mean, Damien Penault was very prominent here for France. He got scarcely not much ball, but still, you know, did create an awful lot of try-scoring opportunities, particularly in that second half. So it'll be very interesting just to see what side can really kind of establish a platform here to allow their 12 and 13 to really instigate the playmaking here because, you know, it, it, it is delicately poised here, Liam. I think it, it's just the occasion on Saturday is going to probably precede itself here in terms of the pre-game and also during the game as well. I think both teams know the magnitude of this game, massive psychological boost to whoever wins this game ahead of the Six Nations the finale of the tournament but also world cup 2023 because the paths of these two teams might cross in a knockout stage so i mean all to play for here on saturday uh Liam. <laughs> hopefully yeah, but my predictions I, I i don't think that we are going to be meeting the french but uh because that that would be <laughs> i don't know i i wouldn't like fancy that calling that game but yeah i think i think that dupont is going to kick the uh, <laughs> out of the ball I really do I think he's going to he is I mean it, it's something that, that we don't seem to think of with Toulouse Toulouse kick a lot of the ball Philippe's scrum DuPont it's not all singing or dancing that they play and I think they're going to revert to that big time on Saturday Um. so but I'm, I'm, I'm very confident I'm very confident that the likes of Keenan and Hansen and Lowe will be able to feel those balls to run back actually quite strongly and that's the key, to run back strongly and to make make those metres when we get the ball. Well, I think it's those opening exchanges, really, Liam, aren't they going to be quite pivotal? I think France may have seen a little bit in the Welsh video, particularly on minute 30 of last weekend in Principality, how Wales did create territory against Ireland with their kicking game, particularly the high aerial up and unders. There was some turnover ball there, but I mean... It would be interesting to see if our back three can deal with that pretty effectively and make some significant line breaks that would actually ask France to double-check in terms of their game plan. We've seen it with Toulouse. Toulouse have kicked an awful lot of ball away, particularly against Munster, you know, at certain times. So I think from that perspective here, Liam, it's going to be definitely poised. I think you're right. I think DuPont definitely. But I'd be intrigued to see the 10 uh, selection here for Galtier. I mean, Entomac goes side-by-side side for DuPont, but given he's in different performance against Italy last weekend... Does Galtier now plumb for likes of Jalibert? It kind of looks like it, given the French media reports post the Italian game, that Jalibert should be given his his due. So, I mean, is that a little bit of a vulnerability here for him to exploit on Saturday if that comes to fruition? Well, I mean, I mean, for us, it's more uh, France uh, with, with more strings to their bow if they have Jalibert. Like there, let's let's be honest about it. You probably make things a bit a bit harder for us. But yeah, I, I also think they're going to they're going to do a lot of if the, if he is picked a lot of crossed field kicking as well that's that's something i that's in, in, intriguing to in terms of testing the the opposing wingers as well so i think that they'll do they'll focus a lot on that as well and i think for sexton as well i think there could be close attention by some of the french aggressive defensive line speed areas here particularly early doors um not saying anything untoward but i think there could be some physical exchanges there for sexton to contend with I just feel that France will come with an awful lot of aggressive line speed, particularly defensively. Uh, I think Ireland just need to be um, need to maintain what they did in the Principality so well within that first 20 minutes. Really, you know, rattle into France from minute one, 
really set that platform and see if we can get a few early scores on the board. You know, make it a two-score game early to see what France have because I think Ireland could definitely avail of some giveaway or intercepts pretty soon in the second, third quarter here, Liam. I, I'm feeling confident like yourself given the performance, but as you say, this is going to be the true asset test. I think the Welsh performance was a game of an awful lot of two halves here. And I think the pack exchanges here, you're kind of looking at the likes of Alders here. You're looking at Jalon, you're looking at all of Leon. Cruz wasn't featuring, but again, that's a formidable back row. You know, and then you have likes of Williams, uh, Flamon, Antonio, Marchand, Bailly. I, I think, to be fair, uh, Liam, this pack battle could be worth the gate admission fee uh, alone because I think that's going to be intriguing to see how Ireland have evolved from 12 months in Paris because at certain stages there, the, the pack battle was lost. So it'll be interesting to see how Andy Farrell, Paul O'Connell particularly, how they've looked to tackle that issue uh, into Saturday. Sheehan, if I remember, had a storming game actually all through there. Some of the other guys found a tough going, it has to be said. I think if I could recollect the likes of Byrne and, and Ryan, while they had their moments, they did flounder a bit in terms of the physical exchanges, as we said. I think you'll see, if Henderson's not starting, you'll certainly see him on after 45 minutes because I think this test match is going to be very attritional up front. I don't see a situation where you'll see the likes of Bealham, by guys like that on the pitch for 45 minutes. I think it's going to be very attritional, very physical, very high tempo. I'm looking forward to it here, Liam, immensely. Um, so that's for Saturday. Concluding the round one uh, fixtures was Twickenham, Calcutta Cup, England v Scotland, and Scotland scoring a tr- third Six Nations win in a row against England. I thought it was a magnificent game, 29-23, and some magical scores throughout from both sides. Yeah, yeah. I really, really enjoy this game. I think it's been many years. I think a lot of people will, will, will say the same thing since we've seen such a such a thrilling game and such brilliant play and excellent um, tries being scored. But like to be fair, the, the, you could sum it up as, as being England don't have a Russell type character, arguably not a Van der Merva as well. And they, I don't think at this time England could aspire to play to the level that Scotland reached in the sh- in the short amount of possession that, that Scotland had. They really they really made a count. While England had a lot of a lot of territory, a lot of possession, really Scotland had the quality. And that's that's ultimately the quality trumped quantity, didn't it really there in that game. But yeah, some of the tries were like like just sensational, Van der Merva. He he he's lent to the pitch one was fine, but equally, his second half decisive try was was another sensational uh, finish. Completely, when Finn Russell when he hits form, he is absolutely breathtaking in in his passing. <laughs> you know, I think that the length he gets in his passes, the 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 weight he puts on them. For players like flying in, no wonder they're going to be making breaks through the middle. His line speed and his ability to lay to the very millisecond to deliver the magnificent pass to a, a runner in support. You know, he's just a magnificent game reader. You know, he's already two to three moves ahead. You know, he's orchestrating. Just, I thought he was marvellous all day last Saturday. 
just really kind of set down the marker really and I think you know for Scotland it's massively good news I mean Finn Russell is on form he's in the mood here and you could see him really single-handedly really propelling this side to new heights really do I think it was a phenomenal I think it was just a phenomenal performance of Scotland just in terms of how they were starved particularly of territory let's call it out England had 71% possession throughout the game so literally Scotland were feeding off scraps here I mean you know you can look at every stat going in terms of meters run you know even tackles Scotland 214 tackles throughout only missed 22 you take that into comparison with England only 101 tackles but missed 25 that's near on 25% which is not good enough in terms of this level but I think Liam to be fair you know take nothing away from either side I think it was a marvellous test match I know Steve Borwick is pretty disappointing in terms of how England didn't hold on here but I mean the two Max Malins tries in the opening half Ellis Genge as well 48 minutes there is a foundation there for Steve Borwick and particularly Kevin Sinfield to really work on. I know defensively they were a little bit in disarray for some of these key scores for Scotland, but I don't feel England are too far off here. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. You know, compared to say the Welsh game there, where Wales really were over the shop in, in a lot of that game. Look, uh, England have a, a lot to work on, but they've also they, they've also first up, considering it's been mentioned they had 11 days of a new coaching regime, a new system of play that has to be taken into account. And um, Malins took his tries excellently as well. They, they were good at times in terms of their scrummaging ability. So, yeah, I mean, and they had look, plenty of possession as well to, that would normally win you a game. And you have to remember, Scotland scored a late try to um, to actually win the game. So this, this thing has to be kind of put into perspective here. I think England have some very good players. I just think they need to get Kevin Sinfield, I suppose, look to to um, defensively shore them up. I mean, let's be honest about it, it was those three or four breaks that led to three or four tries. And that that really was, was the difference in the game. I think Steve Borwick and Kevin Sinfield knew this would not be an easy assignment given how England had gone in the November Test Match Series. I mean, they did provide a bit of entertainment to three tries, but ultimately, as you said here rightly here, Liam, the creative flair players really were coming from a Scottish perspective. Like, let's talk about that Duhan van der Merve try. I mean, Hugh Jones's try, very well executed, very well formed, but Duhan van der Merve's try in 29 minutes. <laughs> I mean, it was like sensible rugby, really, wasn't it? The way he kind of jinked, you know, the line speed, you know, getting to that try. It was just absolutely a phenomenal effort from a winger on the top of his form. Yeah, I know. I know some people uh, compared him to be kind of a Lomo-esque try, but for me, it was more like a, a Colin-esque try. <laughs> really, you know, I don't know how many players he actually beat in England team. It was just cr- incredible. And then he finished at the end by going outside, you know, because he knew he could get it on the outside because he had three English players at the very end on him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so, so just that even that finish alone was 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 incredible. But yeah, um, the guy has great balance, great running ability. Yeah, he was just at the top of his game. Fabulous effort. And I thought a key moment in the game was that Ben White try in 51 minutes straight after Ellis Genge's try, straight after half time. I thought, oh, here we go, Scotland. You're under the pump here a little bit. This territorial advantage is going to reap rewards. But I mean, 
Ben White's try as well in 51 minutes, a massive tonic for Scotland at a key stage of the game here to keep them in touch here. Yeah, the thing was with, with that was the ball kind of slid out. It wasn't quite um, play. <laughs> it wasn't uh, um, deliberate like so. It was, the ball slid out and he, he picked it up kind of with his hand and and, and turned and he, he was basically, I uh, had the gap there. So yeah, I took it very well actually, to be fair. Absolutely. Now, where are you on this 10-12 debate in England? Seen an awful lot of social media commentary, particularly across the water, on Marcus Smith, Owen Farrell. If you were head coach of England right now, uh, Nemo Brain, put your head in the block. Is it Marcus Smith or is it Owen Farrell? Or neither. <laughs> you mean the wild card? Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's just look. I mean, for me, Marcus Smith is an excellent running out half who maybe I'm not sure can control a game. And then on the other hand, you've got Owen Farrell, who's kind of I would say. A very uninspiring in terms of a, as a centre, maybe better as an out half. So that's the kind of predicament they, they're, that they're in, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Owen Farrell at 12, it was kind of a mixed bag for him. I mean, he had 11 carries for 12 metres. I thought the tackle count statistics are pretty interesting. He made four, but he missed three. And again, you know, if you're looking at the 12 kind of battle here, particularly with Scotland, Scotland you know, really kind of with Hugh Jones, very dominant, six carries, 34 metres. You'd say Tui Pulutu with 10 carries, 27 metres, 12 tackles, three missed. I mean, that's telling me tail of the tape here that I think a decision will need to be made pretty early here from Steve Borwick, whether he goes Marcus Smith, whether he goes on Farrell here. I think a decision has to be made probably as soon as after the Italian game going into a Rugby World Cup. He just can't leave this question hanging over because the English rugby media are really kind of honing in on this particular debate right now, where probably just more um, elements of the game probably required. But yeah, I would still go with Marcus Smith. I think he's the flair. I think he needs time to really be that number 10. He has all the attributes. And again, it's a case of Owen Farrell being captain here. And it's It'll just be in a fascinating watch from an England perspective. It's a new head coach coming in. It's only his first competitive game with the side. And he's made key decisions here in the selection going into this Italian game on Sunday. Experienced Anthony Watson, experienced Ben uh, Youngs, and also uh, Ben Curry dropped off the 29-man 20 man squad retained for that fixture. So, supposedly... It's a very interesting call here in terms of even Ben Young's here. Is this the beginning of the end of Ben Young's or is it just maybe kind of a, a kick up the backside for Ben Young's to maybe improve his performance a little bit uh, with his club? I mean, look, he's been he's been probably one of the great England um, out or scrum has, hasn't he, really? Ben Young's, you know, but he's done time for the years. But I think maybe it's time for uh, a new face there and Van Voortvliet has has done well to be fair you know um, he has been in form yeah I think he, he certainly will start I still think the whole centre thing you know is, is, is wrong I, I actually rate Marchant highly but for me it would have to be too laggy Slade you know if the two guys are available too I think Slade is a guy who can actually almost play out half as well you know a kicking, a kicking, kicking centre as well, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with you there. It will be an interesting match, I definitely think. But even going back to the game-winning try with uh, Duhan van der Merve here as well on 74 minutes, I thought the set-up play 
particularly from Finros, was superb, immense in terms of how the decisive line break create, was created in midfield. But that image from for Kevin Sinfield and video analysis, when you see the overlap on the far over end of the pitch, where you have two props basically trying to cover five Scottish uh, attackers, I think that's a video nightmare scenario here mm. for Kevin Sinfield, just how England were so easily dismantled here from a defensive perspective on that try. Yeah, but I mean, look, I mean, in many respects, it was the most brilliantly worked try in the game where you, where it started with Russell. Then you had Steen making a really good break down the line there. And it ended up then with, with uh, actually Richie Gray on the far side, <laughs> making, a, making the perfect pass to uh, Van der Merwe. But yeah, look, I mean, yeah, at, at that stage, defensively, I think all England were all over the shop, to be honest about it. Um, look, I, I don't blame the guy, Sinfield, first game up, there's bound to be some teething problems. But over the course of the championship, I, I am confident that, that England will, will get decisively better, possibly be up at ourselves there for the final game as well. Yeah. There's a new there. You can see the potential that is in this England side, really. And they're only going to get better here, Liam, given the coaching that they're going to be getting. The game plan is going to be more solidified. They're very much in the forming stage. And a bit like Wales, there's a transition of period. But I think... It's a tale of two teams at the moment. Like Wales are going to have to remarkably upturn their form here on both sides of the ball here, um, heading into the Scotland game in Murrayfield. It's, you know, that, that Ireland performance really is not going to cut it. Uh, to be fair, but you can see from England there is elements of the game that are very good. They still had a very abrasive front five performance. I thought. I mean, the territorial win alone, if you're getting that much. You know, it's really the little nitty gritty things here in terms of defensive line speed organization, but also when ball on hand. Again, I didn't think the Martians Farrell 12 13 worked at all. And I think it really did stifle, even though Malins gets two tries, it really did stifle an awful lot of good work here from the England pack. So I think it'll be interesting to see how England evolve. As you say, Italy are going to come to Twickenham, buoyed by that French performance. And, uh, England are going to have to be patient here in terms of not trying to be too expansive too quickly against its Italian time team because uh, they're going to have to get the job done, get a win, and then kind of move on. Yeah, and I, I just feel that it could be literally a case of getting a win. I I, I wouldn't be like saying they're going to be forward like England will win by putting putting 50 points on the board, you know. I think it could be a 20-point win, and I think they could be happy with that, to be honest about it, against Italy. Um, a win is a win at this stage. I, I think England in la, the last, just their, their record in the last five or six games is horrendous, to be honest about it. Their, their win-loss ratio, so they just have to get, get the win and, I suppose, be more defensively sound. I think they'd be happy with that, really. The whole attacking game plan will come eventually, but maybe it's, you know, in terms of the coaching aspect of previous years, I think there is England players within that setup that are capable of providing that creativity, that spark, that moment of brilliance. But I think it's going to be a slow work in progress here for players to be confident enough to do it. I think confidence at low ebb with England. I still think they will get the job done against Italy, certainly. Just given the pack of braces of England, I think that all lends itself to maybe an England win. But it'll be just fascinating to see again that Farrell, Smith, Axis 
are they going to create significant line breaks for like Freddie Stewart, who I rate very much as a fullback for England? You know, is there going to be significant line breaks here for this England backline to really exploit on Sunday? Answers probably a mixed bag. So I definitely say with you, uh, Liam, that there's probably a win, but I think it'll be more workmanlike than, you know, really groundbreaking in terms of this new coaching setup. I think this new coaching setup needs a win by hook or by crook. On round two, Ireland v France. How do you feel, you know, in terms of the review here? Again, I think we're both confident in terms of Ireland uh, facing France. Do you feel at the end of the final whistle here in the Viva that Ireland will emerge victorious? I, I would just about say we get there. I mean, I mean, look again. We we have to in World Cup year we have to lay down the marker. This is, as I said at the outset, this is probably the toughest fixture we face until we get to the World Cup against probably the joint favourites along with ourselves potentially in South Africa. And we've got just we've just just a front up and play what's in front of us and weather the storm at times because they 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 do come at waves at times. I suppose, look, just ask questions of France too, because in the last year, how many teams have really asked questions of, of France? So we have to kind of have Sexton really probing, I think, probing in terms of Grover kicks through, in terms of crossfield kicks, strong carries in from our midfield, and try and get some line breaks going as well, actually. If we can start Ireland starting very strongly in an opening quarter, even building up that scoreline 3 6 9 12, I'd be interested just to see France's reaction if they went two scores down here early. What would be the mindset? Because I think they know that they survived the big scare in Rome. I think just given some of the fundamental issues that we saw here in terms of the penalty concession, I can't see how a five six day turnaround is going to really resolve that from a French perspective. I'd want Ireland front five to really take the, the game to France, yes. But again, can we work this French pack to exhaustion? I think we could. I'd be confident here, Liam. I think it could be a topsy-turvy game, but I think ultimately Ireland hopefully should be winning here 7-10 seven, seven, points here and breaking this uh, French unbeaten record. I think they're well set up. You know, everything is aligning for a big performance here from Ireland. And again, it's going to be another another opportunity for the bench really to come on and close the deal out. So, like sort of a Dave Kilcoyne, a Tom O'Toole here. Again, it's going to be very fascinating just to see in terms of some of the key selections here from Ireland. But I think we're unconfident, you know, provided that Ireland can play on the front foot here. I think we know defensively that they're very strong. But I'd like to see them ask questions early of France. And I think seven, ten points might be a reasonable prediction here for Ireland. Scotland, Wales and Murrayfield. I mean, Scotland coming off the back of that uh, superb win. But we have been here before, Liam. <laughs> Last year in Murrayfield, when Scotland beat England, only to be turned over by Wales in the Principality Stadium. I know venues have changed here. Mm-hmm. But do you see Scotland, you know, winning first off? And if so, by how much? Yeah, we have been here before, haven't we? Yeah, I, it's hard to know because the Wales have anything left in the, in the locker, really, you know? It's a good question. I actually have a feeling that the Scotland will back it up with another, another decisive victory here um, this year. Um, I just feel, you know, they've, 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 I suppose they've, they've talked themselves up so much all along. That's been one of their big problems with Scotland. Um, but 
right now Scotland have a bit more in their locker than than Wales do in in every aspect in terms of their back row in terms of their their halves. Funny enough, I think Scotland always kind of struggle against against Wales against the, the kind of style that, that Wales play. But this year, I'm kind of thinking that Scotland will win this game by maybe seven points. I think it's a fascinating, intriguing battle probably up front. I mean, my biggest concern is really Scottish pack. And, you know, in terms of the England test, it did just about hold up. I think they will be sensing blood against Wales because the front five performance of Wales, particularly the start of that Ireland game and Principality, was nowhere near good enough. And I think the Welsh front five will realise that. And I think it will be a very intriguing subplot to see if Scotland can create the the platform for the likes of Finn Russell, the likes of um, Van der Merv to really impress Hogg. I mean, thing is, Wales would love this to be a very open, fluid game, uh, to be perfectly fair, I think, because it would get into their own. But I think Scotland... I think there's history here between these two teams, particularly with Principality, but the year before as well, when Wales won a narrow game, a few calls went against Scotland. I think there is a bit of ammunition and motivation there for Scotland to get two from two. I would say seven, ten points here for Scotland. But I think it might be closer than people expect. I think Gatlin will galvanise the Welsh team. They need it because if they come with another performance like they did against Ireland, it could be ominous signs for Wales, particularly leading into the home game against England in round three. So I think Scotland by seven or ten. And then obviously England, Italy here, uh, Liam. Are we fancying England here? We are. I would be kind of thinking uh, previously there, but about 20 points uh, victory, something like something like 40-20 or 40-25 um, is probably what it's going to end up in, in the end. I think England have, just to get their structures right, really, It'll be probably be the third game or fourth game before it really kicks in right for England, you know, in terms of their play. So it's to make sure that they're 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 strong in all aspects, so strong defensively and, and strong in, in terms of their uh, scrummaging and, and to get a good line up mall going. I could see them actually really going for that for the line up mall this time as well. Does it click in terms of their, their half backs and their centres as well? It's it's definitely still a work in progress. I think the fascinating thing for me will be the Italian pack, how they do stack up again against a very abrasive unit against them. Uh, France had their moments, but Italy equally showed great signs from a pack perspective. My concern here really is 9 and 10. For Italy, there is Garbasi, such a massive loss here, Liam. I didn't think he was um, as big a loss as he is, but the fact that Allen's performance at 10 particularly in the closing stages really would not inspire me much confidence in, uh, as well with nine as well so i think italy will have moments but i think england will probably secure a bonus point win probably after minute 60 probably a 20 point win going away uh, i think it probably will be the tale of two tapes you know probably pretty good in terms of pack platform but that 10 12 13 axis maybe being a work in progress here and more questions for Borwick, Sinfield and Gleeson as well to really address. So I think a 20-point win for England, I would say, there on the Sunday. Um, so, yeah, all to look forward to there, Liam. I suppose we can finish off the podcast by looking closer to home with Munster Rugby and news that Andrew Conway, unfortunately, 
He's now been sidelined pretty much for the rest of the season here, uh, Liam. Knee problem operation uh, is going to be taking place. Bitter blow for the player uh, here, Liam. Your reaction? Yeah, I mean, look, he's out for the season. Obviously, his, his, his World Cup ambitions are gone as well. And it's just so unlucky in, in terms of injuries, you know. I mean, we have him signing a, tr- a three-year deal. He hasn't played this season at all. We also have Sneeman, who hasn't played his season at all. We have, yeah, uh, had a number of players down to the last few years. And, and, and we keep questioning, what is it with, with, with Munster players in terms of their conditioning that they're so susceptible to, to all these uh, these uh, these injuries? But look, I mean, I wish him well. I hope he is back for the beginning of next season because he, he he's a, he's got a good contract now ahead, good three-year deal to, to finish his career with, with, with Munster. So I wish him all the best, really. Better news to hear, uh, particularly as we came on air on the podcast of this injury, because Conway has been magnificent, has been a magnificent servant to Munster Rugby. He signed, as you said, Liam, the long-term contract. So again, it's the key for Conway is to get good rehabilitation in for the next few months and uh, come back strong for pre-season. But again, it's, it's just been very troublesome, hasn't it, season four, Andrew Conway. He hasn't featured for Munster this season. Obviously, this knee had been the source of an awful lot of issues, hoping that it would settle down. But again, the setback has now forced Munster and the player's hand to have surgery on the knee, which is never good. So look, we wish Andrew Conway all the best and hopefully we'll be back uh, on that Hopefully, I think realistically, pre-season, next season anyway. And hopefully he gets well soon. Liam, we'll leave it there. Enough lot covered there. Good to have Six Nations back. And yeah, we'll have a review of round two of the Six Nations as well. And see if Ireland's uh, Six Nations Grand Slam hopes are still intact. Until then, uh, Liam, thanks very much and enjoy the games. Uh, Thank you very much, Mark. Looking forward to next week. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast... Why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.